We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, joined by two of my Dog Nation allies, Dr. J and Scott the Status Assassin. Gentlemen, good evening. What's up? Tell people what's up. Good evening. It is our year. College <laughs> oh, football is about 30% done. Yeah, this is crazy. So uh, this is our quarter one report because even though it's technically four out of 12 games, which is a third of the way through the season, that doesn't sound as good. It's, and- it's really 15 games. And that's how Scott, you beat me to it. And really, UJ is a team that should be playing 14 or 15 games this year. So it really does round up nicely to the first quarter of the year being done after a 4-0 start by Georgia. A 4-0 start that is somewhat unsurprising in the fact that they are 4-0, but rather surprising in the way they've gotten there. So before we jump into that, if you're new to the podcast, please, please, please subscribe, share, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um subscribe on your podcasting platform and you can email us questions at title sports at gmail.com. So guys, we're four. No, if someone told you that we were four, no, after the first four games, you could have said, okay, I could see that. If someone told you that we would <laughs> have surrendered 23 points on the season, the defense would have scored 16. I would have told you, Oh my gosh, <laughs> this might be one of the best UJ teams we've ever seen. What are you guys thinking four games into the season? I will say the blind test, if someone had told me those things, I would have also thought that we blew Clemson out. That's right? fair. Because that was a little bit of a weird low-scoring game. Um, but that being said, the the Clemson game, you know, started to pick up a lot of injuries leading up to that game. Clemson ended up having a few injuries as well, not as many. Yeah. Um, but if you had told me coming into the game – or end of the season, then in that game, you would be the more injured team. You would have more penalties. You would lose the turnover battle Mm -hmm. and you would miss an easy give me field goal. I would not expect that to be a win. Yeah. Uh, Even knowing that Clemson's offense wasn't going to be anything special. Yeah. And they've since gone from not anything special to a whole different podcast level of discussion. We're not going to go there right we now. We like have broken their offense. Like seriously, like we really, we we actually broke their offense. Have they topped fourteen in this entire year in a game? I don't think they have. Uh, oh, NC State, true. I think South, they, yeah, South Carolina State. So right. not against oh, an FBS yeah. opponent. And that that's a thing right now that it's strange to think how differently maybe I feel about our team four games in as opposed to how I felt about it one game in. Yeah. Um more based on how Clemson has played than how Georgia has played, which right. I don't want to, I don't want to put too much weight on Georgia based on how Clemson has played. But um, I don't, suffice it to say uh, that win feels a lot different now than it did three weeks ago. And this is a, this would be another discussion for the podcast, but really this is a characteristic of the entire college football season. As we discussed in our group text, it's the year of the defense. I don't know whether it's having a full year of preparation or what it is, but defense is back. Teams are not scoring 40 and 50 points a game at will. The Oklahomas of the world aren't doing that. Um, Alabama is, of course, doing that, but they're Alabama. Clemson, who's a team that even in their quote-unquote down years is still going to score 38 points a game, they're not doing it. And you just see a lot more games where good defensive football is being played. And not only that, but this is a year where there's clearly two very, very good teams and then a lot of parity throughout the rest of college football. 
because every time someone gets a big win, they turn around and that team almost loses to somebody that is not very good. I mean, we, this happened multiple times with Ohio State having close calls, um, Auburn having close call against Georgia State, and there, it, the list goes on and on. And so everybody that gets a big win turns around and says, oh, man, maybe that team's not as good as we thought. And so it's not just a UGA issue. Yeah, and Scott may know this. I don't know, but I, I heard someone say on a pod, maybe looking at um, maybe some advanced, uh, you know, that Georgia and Alabama at the top right now by themselves, um, sort of like the last time that a one and two were sort of like this much uh, delineated from the rest was maybe like USC, Texas in yeah. like 2005. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have known that off the top of my head, but it does kind of feel that way. They started one and two that year and one and two. And went, that started one and two and went one, two wire to wire, I believe that year. I believe that also happened a couple years prior to that with USC and Oklahoma, but they went wire to wire one and two. And then Oklahoma yeah. absolutely curb stomped, got curb stomped by USC in the championship game. It was like 55 to 14 or something absurd. But yeah, it just, there's parody beneath the top two where it's like, if someone was to ask you who the third best team in college football was, you could name five teams and make a good case for all of them, but also be unsure about all of them. Is it Iowa? Is it Ohio state? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. You could also you could make a case for five different teams to be the third best team, and not have actually picked the third best team in Correct. that group of five. You could go like ten deep. It, it's pretty wild. And and any of those teams could end up with three losses. Also, that's the thing. Like you could see any of those teams yep. ending up with three. Well, maybe not Oklahoma, but like conceivably, yeah, Oklahoma could lose three games. Yeah, that's not even that yeah. crazy. Yeah, they almost so. always drop one at K State. They could lose to Texas. They could. Or Iowa I'm State. Not, projecting they do this but yeah yeah and to your point david i mean if you were just taking defense out of the picture if you were trying to pick the best offense in the country right now uh are you going to Ole miss maybe (laughs) matt corral i mean you know we'll find out a lot more about them on saturday as well but um no i'd be taking Ole miss over bama on offense right now yeah no questions asked but i'm saying i don't even know there's any other two schools in the discussion how about that I mean, I mean, I don't like I said. Not, it's not only that they're the best. I don't know if there's anybody even in the discussion. And uh, yeah, so and it's kind of like us. Our defense is like five points better than every other defense in the country according to SP Plus. It's not even close. And this may end up being the historic defense that we were projected to have last year, but it's actually happening this year. So real quickly before we jump into some of the stats and trends, uh, biggest surprises so far. Um, I'll start with some some individual players that have yeah, surprised. I, I was expecting yeah. you to go there. <laughs> and so on on defense, the surprise has been Brini. Mm. Right. Who I apparently owe an apology to because I trashed him in our season preview. Latavius Brini, if you listen to our podcast, I am sorry. I I was wrong and I will raise my hand and say I was wrong. He's been and, awesome. You know, we should have learned a little bit after Chris Smith was such a written-off guy who stuck around and was actually a pretty solid safety. And, you know, Brini's kind of been the same thing. And I think with both of these guys, you know, I sort of expected they would be veteran guys that could come in and do their assignment, but maybe guys that would look a little bit athletically overmatched. Mm -hmm. And they do not. Chris Smith is small. He does not play small. Brini is one of those guys who's kind of a little bit bigger for his mm-hmm. position. Yeah. He doesn't run like it. He runs well. Yeah. So that's been a very pleasant surprise on defense. A lot of the other defensive stuff 
it was a bunch of guys that you already knew could play, right? Yeah. I'm not surprised that Jalen Carter just literally ragdolled the offensive <laughs> lineman and annihilated the Vanderbilt running back. That doesn't yeah. surprise me. I expected he'll do that. It just makes me think, Channing Tindall looks like what we thought he was when he came out of high school, finally. And I'm like, what's been going on the last three or four years? Like, that's the kid that we all saw when we watched his high school film. And it's like, did the light bulb not go on? Was Tay Crowder that much better than him? Because Tay Crowder's starting linebacker right now. I just watched him play against the Falcons for the New York Giants. I mean, I think he was a good player, but I thought Tindall was just a different kind of athlete. And I guess those guys were just that good that he couldn't get on the field. I mean, <laughs> he looks yeah. amazing. I think it was, you know, the mental light bulb finally going on, right? It's being able to actually key and diagnose and make the right decision. If if Tyndall's going to get got, he's going to get got at 100 miles an hour. Yes, he he's going to blow somebody up. Yep. But the problem is he might just, you know, key run on some play that's actually a pass, right? Yeah. The play we ran against UAB, a little fake pitch to Cook, throw the wheel, um, to Bowers, right? That's the kind of play where Tyndall sees that guy starting to pitch it, and he goes downhill, you know, at insane speed, ready to blow the running back up, and then realize, oh, no, there goes the tight end, right? He hasn't done that. He's done a really good job of being smart and sound with those decisions. I Last I saw, he was leading the team in tackles. Yeah, he is. And – he had something – it was something wild. We had, like, 19 tackles, and he would played 90 snaps or something like this. Oh, my gosh. Right. We rotate so much. Yeah, and so that's Yeah, it's part of why something like 19 tackles can lead the team. But that's like a game and a half worth of snaps. Yeah. He's making a tackle, like, yeah. every play. That's yeah, not – I mean – That's not even a game and a half. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, I might – defensive surprises, and as long as we're talking about linebacker, I mean, I might say – Dean a little bit. I mean, to Scott's point, Nicobe Dean is another guy who was all universe high school player. I mean, not surprising that he's good, but in terms of maybe our preseason discussion about the pass rush, you know, losing Ojolari, you know, mm -hmm. where are the pressures going to come from? Um, I mean, we'd seen a lot of good things from Nicobe Dean already as a, as a young player. I don't know about y'all, but I, I had not seen sort of pass rush coming from Nicobe Dean, especially yeah. being, you know, a bit of an undersized guy middle linebacker. But again, I mean, compared to somebody like Take Rowder or Monty Rice, um, he is giving us Dean, giving us a lot more in the offensive backfield than we got out of those guys. Um, mm -hmm. And Fair you know, Landing is Landing is doing a lot of just really mad scientist level stuff that is helping all of our players on defense. But um, he's really bringing pressure that I didn't I didn't necessarily expect from him. Yeah, and y'all know I'm always the scheme nerdy guy but truthfully these last few games have been so lopsided i've just been watching for the players i haven't even paid attention to what we're doing because everything we do works whereas the <laughs> yeah clemson it doesn't really, matter you know with clemson i was really locked into what scheme we were running whatnot it's like oh we're just we're just blowing everybody up i mean um <laughs> but going back through the game so far and scott thank you for putting together this these summaries uh you know as we already touched on you win the clemson game 10 to 3 Christopher Smith gets the pick six that seals the game and clemson didn't piss a drop running the ball i mean they we're under constant pressure. That was not a good offensive line. We said this, Scott, you said in our group text, people are going to be big mad when Clemson can't run the ball at all, which is exactly what happened. 
Um, the UAB game will forever be known as the Stetson Bennett game when he put up that just absolutely absurd stat law. And after you and you and me and Jonathan are sitting here texting each other talking about how we didn't think we would, none of us want him to play. And then he goes out and throws five touchdown passes and a half, basically, and um, just looked unbelievable. I mean, granted, throwing to guys that are wide, epic, open. I mean, it was like Devontae Smith versus Ohio State level open. Um, and then South Carolina – Played great, minus losing like three jump balls to Josh Van, who's a very, very good player. Um, but that game really shouldn't have been even as close as it was, if not for a few jump balls that they win. And some some fake fumbles in that game, right? That was a game that almost South Carolina, I think, quote won the turnover battle. Yeah, because late in the game we didn't fumble, but they like really screwed up the call and just never bothered to review it because we were up <laughs> by thirty five. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and then, like two plays later, they throw a big touchdown from midfield, mm-hmm. and uh, and South I guess Carolina that is true, a, isn't it? Yeah, he didn't. Milton didn't fumble that ball. It was extremely clear. It was it was very weird. Um, and then I think a a few drives earlier, maybe it was that uh, the South Carolina, I think it was a running back, maybe a receiver, fumbled right. But when he got tackled, his helmet popped off right before mm-hmm. he fumbled. Yep. So played, played got blown yeah. dead. Didn't it got blown dead? after we recovered the fumble, right? Yeah, So that was was actually one of those games that was – those couple little fluky things, that game could have been a, like, 21-point swing different in Georgia's favor (laughs) in a game that was already lopsided. Yeah, and as long as we're talking about surprises on the season, you know, the UAB game, I think, what I will remember about that game, had it not been the Stetson-Bennett game, which it was, but had it not been, it would have been the Brock Bowers game. Yeah. But because of that one play he had, which, you know, to people like us that are junkies, I mean, we knew about Brock Bowers. If you didn't know about Brock Bowers and you watched him but that angle uh, that that safety had on him in the UAB game, yard touchdown or whatever it was, I think that was when a lot of people were like, whoa, wait a minute, who is number 19? Um, because that that was sort of a coming out play for him. Um, and if you didn't catch it, you certainly saw it in Vanderbilt. And you, we've said this a million times. I said it in the last podcast when I was recapping Georgia and UJ starts the year. You tell me the last tight end that we had that could outrun an angle from a safety. You're talking about Orson Charles. That's like 2000, what, 11-ish, 10-ish? I mean, I mean, and, we – And I don't, I don't think Orson Charles could really outrun an angle from a safety either. He just could outrun linebackers. We haven't had a guy outrunning – we haven't had a guy outrunning safety angles since like Ben Watson, ben Watson who yeah. was like – Chasing down Champ Bailey in the NFL. So it's like a different <laughs> level. But I'm saying like Orson Charles is the last one you can even have a discussion about. And there's a yeah. reason that these guys are sixth and seventh round draft picks. I mean, a four eight tight end is not a is not a pass catching tight end in the NFL. I don't care what his star level was. And I've already told them a story at nauseum about meeting, you know, Isaac Nada as a sophomore in high school and thinking he was an offensive lineman because he was on the wrong part of the field and we were practicing with Buford. Have you heard that? Did I tell you that story, Jonathan? I don't know. He was standing down here with the receivers and I'm about to work with the receivers for Buford when I was at coaching at my other high school. And I was like, guys, what's the offensive lineman doing down here? Like they're over there and they go, coach, that's, that's our tight end. Like, that thing is a tight end. And this is probably when he's about 260 pounds because he trimmed down a lot at the end of high school. But anyways, like those kind of guys aren't, aren't first round draft picks tight end. Yeah. You don't game plan those guys. I don't even know where you got this number, Scott, but you had the GPS miles per hour 
that Brock Bowers hit on that play, which maybe it was 22 or something, whatever it was. That is so dumb. If, if that doesn't mean anything to you out there in podcast land, that would have placed in like top 10 in the NFL last year yeah. of like top speed guys, you know, in-game um, measurement. So uh, yeah. no, he's, he's legitimately freakish. So those games are followed by us committing an absolute hate crime against Vanderbilt on Saturday. Um, Vanderbilt canceled our singer day in 2020. And Oh, was there a receipt for that one? Wow. <laughs> 35, nothing at the first quarter. I was driving to my uncle's house to go visit with his family and I'm getting updates from you guys. And I sit down and it's 28 to nothing. And there's still seven minutes left. I'm like, what the world is going on? And so um, largest margin of victory in series history. Vanderbilt looked awful. They're not good. I mean, this, even for a Vandy team, this is a weak team. And they've been down for a couple of years now. It's going to take Lee uh, a couple of years to get them up. So that shot Georgia up to number two in the AP the coaches poll. Excuse me. That Georgia is still at number two in the AP coaches poll. And this was the big one. I did not know this until you posted this, Scott, that we are up to number one in SP plus, which is that metric that we always talk about that's predictive, meaning that they think that we are about a third of a point better than Alabama on a neutral field, which is wow. Yeah, and and actually slightly in first place on FPI as well, which is ESPN's metric. Yeah. And then second place uh, on FEI, which is another one that uh, is a pretty good one. And and all three of those metrics basically have it being Georgia and Alabama or Alabama and Georgia. Yeah. And I think the gap, but in any way you slice it with any of those, the gap is a half a point or one point or something like this, right? It's a, it's a toss up. So one of the things that's interesting that I saw also from what you shared, Scott, is that um, we are actually outperforming our preseason prediction for offensive efficiency. Now, if you had told us that at the beginning of the year, we predicted 16th and we're at 14th right now, we'd have been like, okay. But if you told me we do that with Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers being our lead receivers, and without us having 100-yard rusher, Stetson Bennett having our longest run of the year coming into Saturday, I don't know if that was topped by uh, Dejon Edwards, but all of that, and we have a top 15 offense right now? Are you kidding me? Without Kiaris Jackson playing basically any offense, this is the first game he's gotten targets this past week, without Dominic Blaylock, without George Pickens, without Kendall Milton for one for this past game, and without Arian Smith for this past game, and he was limited in the first game. And with all that talent out, we are still outperforming our offensive projection. That is nuts. Yeah, and, and I think one thing, there's a little bit of a misnomer there to say we've totally outperformed it because a big part of it is a lot of other offenses haven't have performed up to snuff. That's fair. Yeah, so if you look at our rating – it maybe is like a tiny bit lower than the preseason projection, but our ranking is actually a little bit higher. Okay. That said, even being close to the original rating, considering how many guys are out, that's huge. A lot of these ratings, they don't do injury mm. awareness, right? They don't say, oh, your receiver's hurt, your quarterback's hurt, whatever, and bump you down a notch. It's one of like the flaws that doesn't get covered because colleges don't have to report injuries, right? So, yeah, the fact that the offense has even been functional, right, is very good considering that all your leading receivers are freshmen and one sophomore, that's your veteran mm -hmm. guy, and the whole yeah. group is a sophomore. Yeah. So, wild. Yeah. Um, JT Daniels has had a chance to put up great numbers, but we've talked about this. The difference in our season last year was simply quarterback play. 
Uh, Stetson Bennett showed that he was good enough to beat average teams, wasn't good enough to beat really good teams. Uh, I think that's kind of still held true this year so based on what we've seen. Um, you know, he led up a UAB team that's, a, you know, a solid team, but not a great team. I mean, they're better than Vanderbilt. Um, but JT Daniels, I feel like it's tough to evaluate because he hasn't really lit it up, but he's done everything that he needed to do to make the offense successful. But he hasn't had that, like, the Mississippi State game we're all waiting for him to have. Is that kind of what you guys are seeing also? It's just a sample size thing, I think, right? We only got yeah. to see him for four games, not even half the season last year. We're only four games into this season, but he already missed one game, and a lot of the games haven't been close, throwing 10 passes and then leaving the game. He um, played only the first half against Andy. I mean, that's it. First first quarter, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, he's got, he got pulled after one quarter. So, and, and one of the things with JT Daniels, we saw this last year, the same has been true for this year, he's been exceptional on third downs. Mm. But, you know, how many big third downs a game do you have? We just mentioned he's only played in so many games and played so much. So it's the kind of thing where, I, personally, I'm not really sure yet if he and or the coaching scheme is really that good at third downs or if you're like one bad game of third downs away from coming back to being normal on that, right? Yeah. And, you know, it'll, we'll find out in the next month or two or throughout the rest of the season, probably. But, And I think the one thing I, I was hoping to see more of, and this isn't JT Daniels related, we've gotten the explosive plays on offense finally in the passing game, but haven't seen a lot of consistency in the run game. We get some chunk plays occasionally, but there's not the consistent – there's not that drive where we go 7, 6, 7, 14. I'm still waiting to see us put that together for a couple of different drives of the game. Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the passing game – just like y'all been saying, I mean, I, it is hard to evaluate Daniels at this point because he hasn't had his full complement of weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really, it's it Bowers, McCoy, and Mitchell, um, you know, just really almost entirely. And so you would like to see, you know, it, at least with some of those guys back healthy. And um, I don't know, I, I still feel like that's going to take a while on on most of them. Um But, uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, the run, I mean, that's, um, that's true as well. Honestly, I don't know how y'all have felt. I I probably have been um, most excited or anticipated an explosive play from James Cook or Kenny McIntosh mm-hmm. um, more so than more so than Zamir White. And um, you know, Kendall Miller and there some you know missed the last game a little bit banged up. But um, I've kind of seen kind of the most um, most twitch out of out of those guys. Yeah, uh, you know, from our running backs. I definitely agree with that. And I, I I think one of the things that we've seen is that James Cook hasn't proved as a runner. We've talked about this, but if you've ever seen Zamir White's high school highlights, I mean, it was like a mixture of Keith Marshall and Nick Chubb. I mean, that's literally what the guy looked like. And I know that's high praise, but that's not too outlandish if you saw what he did in high school, the stuff he was doing in high school. I mean, we discussed this, but that version of Zeus has never played at UJ, and I'm not sure he ever will at this point. Meaning he's still a good college running back, but just the level of explosion and straight line speed that he had in high school, which was just absurd, I don't think we've seen, and I don't know if we ever will see. Chubb got it back, but Sonny Michelle, who had a similar situation where he was supposedly just ex- elitely explosive in high school, never did get it all the way back. And I think that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true of him. 
And then of course, the other main talk about here in the run game is the offensive line. And that may be another group that do we exactly know what we have there? Yeah. I mean, I, we, we think they're pretty good. I don't know everything about Clemson, but I think I do know that their defensive line is pretty darn yes. good. Yes. So for they're them good. to have held up, even the way they did uh, says something about our O-line, but um, you know, still a lot of questions in the middle uh, you know, are, are we at our ceiling with Erickson and Schaefer? Even mm-hmm. if Erickson gets moved out, um, you know, from some shuffling, is Van Pran the best we have at center, or is yeah. Erickson actually better at center? There's going to be some moving around there still, and um, you know, we we may find out that this early version of the offensive line, um, you know, maybe maybe could have been improved upon, and still might. And, and I think one of the things that shocked people about the Clemson game was that we actually passed protected well. And we talked about this, but you could tell from our game plan that we did not expect to protect against Clemson's pressure. It was a lot of quick game, a lot of short throws, no explosive plays, but we didn't really want to hold the ball. And then you saw the opposite against UAB, almost definitely an overcorrection in a good way. But it's been surprising how well we've protected really all season to this point, but we haven't run the ball as effectively. And the question is, is that underperformance or is that because that's what people are trying to take away? knowing that we don't have the weapons that they we normally have, are they people playing more man against us, less zone, putting more in the box because they think, okay, well, you know, they're not worried about Lad McConkie and Brock Bowers beating them. And well, they will be now, but <laughs> and, you know, and that's the thing that you kind of have to wait to see as the season goes on or have a deep, deep film analysis of which we don't have access to, to know like, is the lack of running game because of numbers in the box or is it because of execution? And, you know, I think we'll see some of those big rushing games with this past Vanderbilt game. We ran the ball at five yards to carry, I know, so it was effective. I, was saying, I really think it is a, a lot about what other teams are doing. doing. I mean, definitely against UAB and some of the last couple of weeks, it's been a lot of teams really stacking the box and saying, like, you know, we dare you to beat us throwing the ball. Yeah. And we have. <laughs> Yeah, so far we have, so it hasn't been a problem. Now, some of it has been probably guard play in the run game, right? Ratledge getting hurt, being lost for the season on the first series of the Clemson game. Um, You know, putting Erickson in there, who is a center, not a guard, and Mm -hmm. had a hand that he Mm -hmm. uh, was in a cast, couldn't use. And also, too, he's built more like a center. He's not built like a guard, right? And anyway, yeah, he's had some moments that haven't been that great. And, and Schaefer, too, those have been the guys that have had the most whiffs on the offensive line and it showed up. The other thing, too, is we've talked a lot about a lot of young wide receivers, a lot of backup wide receivers. There hasn't been a lot of perimeter blocking. And mm-hmm. you get consistency in the run game with the offensive line, you get explosiveness in a run game with the wide receiver blocking. A lot of times we haven't had, have we, we haven't had any explosive run plays hardly. No, that's what we were talking about. And like I said, I think Setson Bennett has the longest run of the year off a of quarterback read. And one thing that'll help with that perimeter blocking is the return of Darnell Washington. I didn't even mention what I mentioned all the other talent we have. And it's been obvious on film. Our best perimeter blocker is Brock Bowers without question. When they split him out, he just swallows up corners. And, you know, would George Pickens help with that? Would Kiaris Jackson, who I believe is a pretty good blocker, help yes. with that? The, yes. You know, yeah, I mean. Yes. Yeah. So things that things that you don't really think about when you think about 
what wide receivers do. Like th- that is part of it. Like you said, I know as being a, being a salt blocking receiver and wing team in high school, um, that's part of it. But overall, like it's really cool to see our offense still be, be efficient in our defense, which we'll talk, we've already talked about a little bit. Um, the biggest question is, will the defensive back play hold up behind this just absolutely unbelievable front seven? I mean, we know that we are actually pretty good at safety, and you mentioned this earlier, but Christopher Smith, who we all kind of expect to just be a solid player, is actually, like, better than solid, like, bordering on actually pretty good. He reminds me of a poor man's J.R. Reed. Undersized, very, very smart, in the right position, makes a lot of plays. I don't think he's got quite the um, the instincts that J.R. Reed has, but, man, does he do a lot of things really well, and he's a good tackler, just like J.R. Reed was. I don't know if do y'all see any of those, any of that. Am I making that up? Is that far fetched? No, no. I think that's a, I think that's an apt comparison for sure. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty good about the way they've played in the back half so far. And I would say, if we stay healthy, I feel definitely better yeah. about the secondary yes. than I did before the season started. Yes. Um, yes. I, yes. I am still concerned about depth, and um, <laughs> and at this point. I mean, I, I guess I am still looking with a bit of a side eye at the corners more so than the safeties, though um, I can't even hardly remember seeing number 11 just even on the TV screen in the past yeah. two weeks. I mean, it, he it, has been out like there where, I... wherever he's been. There's been no action. Kendrick, yeah. I'm talking about, of course. Um, and it also seems that the Keely Ringo has um, has surpassed Amir speed at this yeah, point, that, which we yeah. I think all predicted in the preseason. Oh, that's and Keely Ringo has given uh, has given up zero receptions. Got a pick too, and one very powerful slam in, in the Clemson game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the truth is, like with our secondary, it's not late secondary teams that have really good wide receivers will be able to beat our corners. But the problem is, can't throw the ball laying on your back. So you think about the receiving cores that can legitimately give Georgia trouble. This ain't Alabama's year to give Georgia trouble in secondary. I'm sorry. This is just – I mean, Slade Bolden would not play on one of the, any of the really, really good Alabama offenses. Now, John Mechie's a real, is the real deal, and I think their quarterback is fantastic in Bryce Young. But th- this ain't the year for Alabama to be slicing people up with their receivers. They'll do it with scheme and, and good blocking. But if you ask me, there's only one team that I think has the depth of receiver to really hurt Georgia, and that's Ohio State. And – and they don't I've, have the quarterback or the rest of the team. Correct. I don't think <laughs> yeah. Ohio State could stop our high school offense right now, and I think it's all coaching, which is another story for the day, how poorly coached they are in defense. Well, and Alabama has kind of the similar situation going on that we do in terms of um, Alabama's running game is not really an Alabama mm-hmm. running game. I mean, not mm-hmm. not what you've come to expect from them mm-hmm. uh, in years past. And, you know, um, we may find out a lot more about our this week. I don't want to pretend to know more about this than I do, but yeah, I've listened to enough podcasts to know that uh, <laughs> Barry Odom, Arkansas's defense coordinator, is oh, very he's good around the league. And I heard already a couple of times this week, Arkansas is known for a defense, they say, which is basically, you know, them just trying to take away all of the vertical passing game and really daring teams to run against them. Um, so that may be a big storyline this week on whether we can do that or whether we refuse to do what they want us to do um, and find other ways, you know, to get the passing game going. 
And that's very much the, the philosophy that Dan Lanning and Kirby Smart adopted, George. If you've ever sat through any of their clinic talk, they basically want to outnumber you in the passing game. Like if you have trips, they want to go four over three. If you have a single receiver, they want to go two over one. And they dare you to run the ball. But when you have hell raises on the defensive line like they have that can beat one-on-one blocks and can stop power with six guys. So I think that's one thing to remember is that like that philosophy, Jonathan, is definitely something that like is the Kirby Smart, Dan Lanning philosophy, but it requires you to have really good defensive line play and to be really, really, really well coached in other spots. So we'll circle back around Arkansas in a second here because that is a huge game. But I want to talk about this upcoming schedule. It is no longer as easy as we thought. Auburn has found some semblance of an offense and it required them firing Bo Nix, looks like to do it, which shocks no one that watches them. Um, Florida looks like they actually have a real football team again this year. And we knew Florida would be good on offense. We, we've said this, like, it's Dan Mullen. He'll find a way to be good on offense. They just always are. And he knows how to score in Alabama, which is why we got that great game where we were all texting about, like, oh, my gosh, we thought Florida's going to lose this thing by two touchdowns. They've actually got a shot to win it. And then Kentucky is better than we thought. And Arkansas is, of course, the story with that game coming up where we are, I guess, the 13-point favorite. I think you'd guessed somewhere around the same, Jonathan, didn't you? Or 12? Yeah, I think I guess? was guessing like 10 or 11 or something, yeah. And, Scott, you guessed like two touchdowns, right? Yeah, I thought they would short Arkansas a little bit. And we come in as 19-point favorites in a top-10 game, which is absurd. That's like Alabama-level respect. So – what are you guys thinking as we as we get to this last little part of the podcast? Well, it's it's definitely the real, you know, tougher stretch of the schedule. Yeah. Um, none of them are games that we can't win, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you're playing, you know, five NFL teams or something. Um, but it's the stretch that was probably always the toughest stretch. And also, if you look at all the teams, they've kind of all been – as good or a little better, or in Arkansas's case, a good bit better than you expected before the season, right? Florida's been maybe a, a little bit better than expected. Nothing crazy, but maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kentucky, Missouri, a little bit better than expected. Auburn, probably a little bit better than expected. Arkansas, a good bit better yeah. than expected. And so this is where you get into the middle of the season and people look at undefeated teams and look at the schedule and say, oh, no way they're losing any games. They're going to be yeah. defeated. That's not how it works, right? Mm-hmm. You go, Let's say you go beat Arkansas. Well, maybe Arkansas has two good plays and the whole course of the game. Well, those plays are going to get copied for the next four weeks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And little flaws get noticed and get game planned against and exposed, and that's how it adds up, right? So, you know, by the numbers over the next the four or five game stretch, on average, if you just kind of go by the predicted models, Georgia's probably expected to lose one, slightly more expected mm-hmm. to lose one than to win all those games. Um, so that'll be a big, uh, big test in that stretch, whether they can actually pull out all those games or whether you lose a close one. Yeah. Um, it, it may not matter because of the, state of the rest of college football yeah how a lot of top teams probably aren't going to be undefeated yeah but you would really Mm -hmm. like to come into the sec championship game undefeated because then if you lose a close game you're still in the playoff Mm, it's a mulligan yep absolutely and and you certainly don't want to screw around and lose to florida and have them somehow end up with one loss and have the tie break over you Mm. and because kentucky 
shanked a field goal against them or something and it cost you your whole seat you know you don't want to be in that position you want to control your own destiny then you're left hoping you can pull an alabama or an ohio state and backdoor your way into the champion into the playoff which is possible i mean we don't get the kind of respect those teams do we just don't i mean so jonathan what are you thinking yeah i don't know about you guys but unsurprisingly i mean the, the florida game is still the one you know, of this next stretch, well, of the rest of the season th- that I continue to be the most worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, focused on Arkansas this week. I I did not expect that to be point spread. Um, I am expecting a tough game from them. All that said, there's no part of me that's like expecting to lose to Arkansas at home. Um, I, you know, definitely think we're going to come out on top there. Um, but of of the games we're still looking at, um, that matchup with Florida is, is still the one that, uh, you know, maybe it's bad memories. Uh, maybe it's how well they played against Alabama. Um, it could be a number of things, I guess, but that, that is still the one I'm looking at and um, probably thinking about the most. But before we get there, we still got to play Arkansas. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. You're right. And David, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the way that Lanning and Kirby like to run the defense is to, just sort of always have numbers in the passing game, mm-hmm. you know, and, and one of the things that Kirby said before, and it's very much like a Belichickian kind of thing is trying to make the other team play left-handed, right? Mm-hmm. Like whatever they don't want to do, that's the thing you're going to let them do, make them beat you with what they're bad at. Arkansas, I think, does a lot of that same kind of philosophy. They don't do it quite the same way that we do it in the numbers game. Arkansas does a lot of rush three, drop eight. And they just try and say, we're going to have some interior guys that can maul you and stop the run well enough with just three dudes and everybody else is going to just be dropping in zone. So you end up with only, you know, three guys really playing the run, but you're also in zone. So kind of everybody else is still playing the run. Because all eyes on the backfield. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. You don't have guys turning and running in man coverage that can be exposed on like RPOs and like keeping it and quarterback scrambles it's in zone. Right. So there's nothing free and nothing easy. And you mentioned how having guys like Jordan Davis make schemes work where you play the run without with less numbers. Uh, has anybody seen Arkansas's defensive line? They got a dude that's like six, five, three forty, and he plays a very similar style. They got, they have some legit, legit big men on that defensive line. And so that, combined with uh, Barry Odom doing a good job with the mm-hmm. scheme and just, you know, sticking to what they do and making it tough on people, they've been successful, even if they don't have 11 NFL picks on their on their yeah. defense starting. And that's, you know, the, what they have in the middle, Arkansas, um, is another reason why uh, we may see more Jamar Sawyer on the inside this week. I mean, I, we'll see. That depends, of course on us having the ability to put somebody in Jamari Sawyer's position, namely probably Broderick Jones. Um, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do a lot more of that. They did a good bit of it in the Vanderbilt game where obviously they had the luxury um, for a number of reasons, but um, that is another reason why they may want to get, you know, um, some, some extra oomph uh, in the middle of our offensive line this week for sure. Yeah. And I think that we would say this, Georgia should win every game they have remaining. 
this defense, it's hard to see any team other than possibly Bama Florida scoring more than 20 points the rest of the way. I can sincerely believe that. Like, I even think if – okay, if Arkansas beats Georgia because they scored 24 points, I would tell you how many turnovers did Georgia have. Was there a special team touchdown, something like that? I just have a hard time seeing many offenses scoring more than 24, 27 on Georgia, even if it's a really good offense. I just think that's where, where college football is this year. I would tell you that Georgia could go out and hold Oklahoma to 10 points, possibly right now, the way they're playing. It's, it's just possible. And I could not have told you that a year ago, even with that defense as good as it was. And so I think that with the defense being something that just is defense is usually just consistent in college football from week to week when you have a really, really good one. I think that's going to give them a chance to really win every game. We don't know they should definitely favor in every game. And again, I'll say that I'll say it. You guys said it, if it ain't this year, I don't know what it's going to be that they get there and have a chance to beat Bama and go all the way. So I, I agree about the defense. Um, I don't expect really anybody to score a lot on us. I definitely yeah. don't expect Arkansas to, you know, be scoring 30 on us. Um, if they do, I'll be very surprised. Yeah. I, I do think we will learn a, a lot about our offense this week. Um, yeah. I mean, to, to Scott's point about what he just said about Arkansas and the way they play defense and make it difficult on you. Um, listen, Texas didn't come close to figuring out Texas no. A&M didn't come close to figuring it no. out. Um, do, do we think we have an offense that is just like worlds better than Texas and Texas A&M? I, Texas A&M. Yes. 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 Texas A&M. I, yes. Big Texas I, had Texas, no quarterback. Texas, Texas, <laughs> yep. scored, Texas scored 70 points. I mean, Texas scored 70 points last week. That's I mean, just I, true. I, I think fences, I think we're better than them, Yeah, but I, I I think we're going to find out about our offense this week. That's, okay. that's what I'm saying. That's fair. Yeah, so, yeah, the way they'll play this week is going to be pretty similar to how Clemson played, right? Mm. A lot of guys in coverage, a lot of guys in zone, trying to just have way more numbers in the, uh, on pass defense and also win individual battles up yeah. front with their defensive linemen. Yep. And A game in which we scored 10 points, by the way. It's fair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pick six. well aware. And – we scored 10 points because we didn't want to score a touchdown at the end of the game and we missed a give me field goal. Right. That's fair. So, and because we had to pick six. Yeah, yeah. no, I know. But <laughs> part of the reason, but part of the reason is in that game, Clemson couldn't get a first down if their life depended on it. And we, I think knew that and you knew stick how with many the guys we had game out. Plan. Yeah. And you stick with a conservative game plan because the only yeah. way Clemson is going to score is if you do something dumb, dumb. and throw a pick yeah. six. Yeah, and we're going to see some similar stuff with that against Arkansas. Probably yeah. we're going to see a game where Arkansas can't move the ball and the Georgia offense, unless Arkansas has some breakdowns is probably going to be a little bit conservative and not go too crazy. And people are going to get mad. Throw the ball. You know what? Al- Alabama fans were really mad about how their offense played against Arkansas last year. Mm. And it didn't matter. Right. Yeah. Arkansas. I think they shut them out in the first half. Is yeah. that right last year? I think that's right. Yeah, it's just a, a patience game. And if the other team can't score, you have the, you know, the luxury of not having to press anything. Yeah. So, it, yeah, you might see a lot of that again. I, You know, I, I thought South Carolina's defense is is okay. I mean, that, yeah, it's better they're, than not, I they're be. not a bad defense. And we did show some explosiveness against them. Probably the, the most explosive run play I'm really remembering – um, on the season is uh, I'm pretty sure it was against South Carolina, James Cook touchdown run 
mm -hmm. sort of right up the middle, uh, maybe 25 yards or something. Um, I, I thought, uh, I hope we can build on that performance. I, I wasn't really impressed by what we did offensively against Clemson against a very, very good defense. Yeah. Obviously was impressed what we did against UAB and Vanderbilt, but don't put much stock in that for obvious reasons. I, um, I'm hoping that this week we maybe build on, you know, on some of the things we've been seeing. Um, we certainly can't go back to what we did the last time we played a very good defense and scored three points against Clemson. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fact. Yeah. Well, that's a good stopping point there. And I know I said in the preseason that I thought we needed to average 40 points a game to win a national championship. That trend will change this year. It just will. Um, and so that's great. It's a great year to have a great defense. I'll put it that way. Yeah. All right, guys, Scott, Jonathan, thank you guys for jumping on. Scott, I know you got to get home. You uh, you really manned up and did this from your car, which is awesome. <laughs> so appreciate you as we're in three different time zones here and uh, we're all we're all trying to make this work. But uh, guys, thank you again. I feel good about this week. We're going to jump back on here in a few more weeks and see if we, everything we just predicted is correct. So uh, this has been Dave Bethay, Scott the Status and Dr. J for the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.